You know, I did a little unofficial research. Our numbers at, at times kind of go up and down, zig and zag. And I found out it was an internet problem. Now, here's how I found out. I was talking to some people and I said, you know, I haven't seen you uh, at Tuesday a couple of weeks. They said, well, you haven't had service. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, we were driving to church and I looked at my cell phone that said no service and we went home. Uh, if you see that, that doesn't mean that we're not having services, okay? All right. Good to see a little smile on your face. Sometime in the wintertime, we all get the old winter blahs, but thankfully here in Florida, we don't have much of a winter, amen? amen. All right. We're going to talk about remember and repent. I have another famous face that we'll put up here. There's a prize if somebody tells, says who that is. No, it's not Cord. That's Sir Francis Schaeffer, uh, a great theologian. And the reason I put him up here I read a quote of his uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it really, really stirred me. Let's, let's see that quote. He said, the meaning of the word Christian has been reduced to practically nothing. Surely there's no word that has been as devalued unless it is the word God. Now, don't you think about that. You know, Christian means, come to mean a lot of things. Christian can mean you're not Jewish, right? If you're not Jewish, Christian, all right? Uh, anyone who lives in a Christian nation, uh, that means you don't live in Islam, you don't live in a country that worships Buddha, classified Christian. Uh, anyone that claims an alliance or an allegiance to Jesus Christ. And generally, you get the answer of, I'm a Christian, unless you hear from someone who'll say, no, I'm agnostic, uh, no, I'm an atheist. Most of the time when we talk to people, Christian. And so that word has been devalued over the years. It used to really separate Christians, those who follow Christ, from the rest of the world. One of those places was in the book of Ephesians. We begin our study last week. And in that church, uh, something interesting. Here were their church leaders, Priscilla and Aquila. They were not only used there, they were used in Corinth. They had another young man named Apollos, a very famous orator. They had Paul himself for three years. Timothy was there for a year and a half. And in the Apostle John's later life, when he was in his 90s, he was pastor of that church. So you would say this church had very, very strong roots. And, and, and in fact, when Paul is writing his letter, he uh, right in uh, the first chapter, he breaks into a thanksgiving and a prayer. And he says, for this reason, Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people. He was writing because when he heard about this, he had not made that trip yet, about the love 
that was shown there. And so in my thinking, when I read that, I thought, well, there's one other word that's overlooked or overused, and that is the word love. You know, we've got every kind of definition in the world for love. How many of you tomorrow have remembered it's Valentine's Day? Oh, two of you. Oh, bless your heart. Well, be careful tomorrow. There's a little kid flying around in a diaper with a bow and arrow, and supposedly when he hits you with that arrow, you fall in love. Personally, that would make me mad, but that's just me. No, love. You love this. You love that. Everything is love, love, love. When in reality, when we look at Corinthians, uh, the 13th chapter, it talks about love. But there's a, a greater love that without this type of love, it's impossible to have the other. And so I did, decided I would branch off and go 40 years into the future from when this book was written, the book of Ephesians. 40 years later, we pick up on seven churches in the book of Revelation. Those seven churches, the first one that is addressed is Ephesus. You see, Ephesus was the mother church of the other six. So they had planted churches. They had this great love. They had this great faith. But when John writes to them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we see a clue to what can happen in someone's life. So let's pick it up there. Revelation to the angel. The angel is the pastor or leader of the church of Ephesus. In fact, in every one of these letters, it is addressed to the angel which is the pastor or the, uh, the leader of that church. So you all may begin to refer me as angel, okay? No. What'd you say? <laughs> Carol was shaking her head. You've known me too long, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven stars. The seven stars represent again these leaders in his right hand and was walks among the seven golden lampstands. Lampstands are symbolic of the church itself, okay? The seven golden lampstands are the seven churches addressed in chapter two and three of the book of Revelation, okay? I know your deeds, your hard work. This word is actually toil and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. This is sounding pretty good, right? It's a pretty good report card that they've got going, okay? Uh, you have preserved and have endured hardship for my name's sake. About this time in the history the church was becoming highly persecuted. Uh, from during this 40 years, many of the apostles that were uh, martyred were killed. Other church fathers were killed. 
This was a time that they were literally trying to stuff out Christianity. And they had endured all these hardships for their name, and they have not grown weary. They did it not grudgingly. They stood up for the name of Jesus. Not only standing up, but they literally stood for. In fact, the word Christians was given to them at the uh, Church of Antioch in a mocking way. When they were named Christians, it meant that people were calling them little Christ. They, were, they displayed so much of who Christ was, okay? Yet, uh-oh, yet or but, that's, that's never good. I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. This is a threat not of the judgment when Christ comes to earth. This is a threat that if you don't go back, if you do not return to what you were, this church will disappear. You know, today we're living in a time where churches are disappearing. Do you realize there were a lot of churches that did not open back up after COVID? A lot of things are happening. The gospel is not being preached. Easy believism. And we're living in a day, listen to me, even though the world is wicked, we're living in a time when people are striving, they're thirsting, they're dying to know the truth. They have believed the lie for so long. And you know, you can only lie to yourself so long. Uh, and, and, and then all of a sudden, reality begins to come home and you're haunted by the truth that you have ignored. And see, that's why churches that proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross, the blood, the resurrection, and stand by it, and stand by the law of God, these churches are growing because people want to know the truth even if the truth is bad. So long we lived in a time when it's like the guy that said he didn't go to the doctor for one main reason. He said, what's the reason you don't go to the doctor? He said, every time I go, he finds something wrong with me. That's not a good reason. But that's the way we have lived for so long. And we woke up, the world's gone. And the reason is because the church the church has ceased to be the church. I'll remove your lampstand. Well, you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolotines, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Nicolotines, history says, uh, when you look in the book of Acts, when the deacons were first uh, led, the church picked out, one of them was the name Nico. And they say that this uh, heresy came from him. He was a false believer hidden within the church. 
And what the Nicolotines simply did is this. They, under the pretense of, re, of liberty in Christ, using that, they led Christians into immorality. They led them into debasing things and heresy, using this Christian liberty uh, excuse me, principle. Principle says, all things, Paul preached this, all things are lawful, yeah. But he said, not all things are good for me. And, but that's the distinction they don't put them. Now, there was a church, Pergram, that uh, John's going to write to, and they says of the church of Pergram, they put up with them. Ephesus didn't. They hated them. So what's this deal about first love? What's the deal? Well, in, in the book of Matthew, we find some words. Let's, let's go. We're going to go to that one right now. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest command? Okay. Here's his answer. Love the Lord God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. The law, the prophets hang on these two commandments. What does that mean? This is from the law and the prophets. All of it is meshed together under loving God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul. That means everything. Now, you see, we get confused with this love because love many times is simply sentimentality. Uh, love sometimes is a very emotional feeling. And, and then when you don't feel that emotion anymore, you, you think, well, I'm not really loving. When in reality, when we look at definition, loves are as action towards someone that is endeared to you. It's, it's not a surfy love. It can be emotional at times. But love simply means that I owe my existence to one person, and that is God himself. That's who we are. We are not our own. Not only have we been bought with a price, we have been created in our mother's room through God himself. So God is there at the beginning. There comes a day in our life that we see we're on the wrong path. We're without Christ. We need a savior. We come to Christ. He calls that a rebirth. In other words, you're starting all over again. However, we are plagued that we do not have our old nature taken away from us at that time. However, God equips us, God strengthens us, and God gives us his word to say this is the stuff to flush out of your life. And because we owe everything to our Father, there is a love there. There is a respect in fact, the Bible tells us we did not first love God. 
We just didn't wake up one morning and say, I love God. I'm going to live my life like I love God. No, that's not the way it was. God first loved us. God first illustrated his love. He looked at us in our sinful condition, in our hopeless condition, looked at us knowing that we were simply struggling in the cesspool of life and no way to get out. And he reached in, despising the shame and the the smell and the slime and the filthiness of our sins, and he brought us out and in Jesus Christ made us new. We owe our lives. I want to admit something to you. Sometimes your love can go up, up and down. But that is for this reason. When you distance yourself from God, Satan will fill that void in your life. If you are missing that, that prayer life you once had, that study, you, you remember when you first were a Christian, you wanted to get that Bible, you wanted to you know, just learn everything was in there. And you had a love and a passion, not just because of the Word, but the Word was God. When we begin to slip away from that, Satan will come in the back door. When we begin to neglect our prayer life, not our gimme, gimme life, our prayer, going to God with every issue of life. Here's what I'm fighting. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what my family is struggling with. When there is no, you remember when at the very first of this uh, uh, Revelation passage, he said, I know. See, that, that's a weird word. That doesn't mean God knew by observation what was going on. That's not what he meant. He also didn't mean that it was a, 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 an accumulative knowledge. He had watched them over a course of years, and he found out what was going on. When God looks at us, he knows. Boom, it is revealed. Nothing is hidden. We stand naked for, before God. In all of our efforts to hide our sin, it cannot be hidden from God. He knows, yet he loves. Do we love him? That's the whole course. We love him the more we know him, the more we talk to him, the more we live life with God. When his view of the world becomes our view of the world, when his view of sin becomes our view of sin, that is loving God. They had commendations, like I say, toil. This in the Greek means labor, even to the point of sweating. It's kind of like uh, pulling a weed is work, Digging a ditch is labor. It's more intensified. So I know that work. He said, I know your perseverance. You have not quit. Church of Laodicea weren't going forward or backwards. They were, quote, holding their ground. And Jesus said, I hate you because you're lukewarm. They didn't tolerate wicked people. They didn't associate. Paul said in the book of Acts, when I leave, 
wolves are going to come in behind me. And they're going to try to devour you. And some of these wolves will be people in your church. Beware. So what they did is they basically, they, they looked at people and their teachings according to the word of God. And they pointed out heresy, they pointed out wrong, and they got rid of them. They had spiritual discernment, and they endured. You know, today, we have turned in from the strongest generations to the weakest generation. We can't endure, it seems like, anything. Uh, Chad and I were talking uh, a while ago. It, it's, a, it's a common joke. He is just on the borderline uh, of the Gen Z generation. But I, I've been reading these articles of how they're blaming the workforce because they're unemployed. Because some can't make it to work at seven, and there are others that can't make it to work at eight. And so they're living at home with mom and daddy, and, and mom and daddy is putting up with this. And so when someone will come by their house, pick them up about brunch time, take them to work, walk them in the office, let them doodle for a while and take them home, they just have to stay home because nobody loves them. Listen, I want to tell you something. There was a generation of Christians beginning in the first century that the whole world totally against them. Everywhere they turned, they were hated. Some of them were double hated. You know how you double hate? Some of them were Jews that the world hated, and they had become Christians. They were hated by their Jewish people, and they were hated by the world. But they endured, they persevered, and not only that, they thrived. And that's what we have, what we see. Well, where did that go? When you leave your first love, what happens? Well, you kind of just walk through the motions, don't you? You make this statement. Somebody will say, what are you going to do tomorrow, tomorrow Sunday? Well, I got to go to church. Yeah, well, you don't have, yeah, I got to go. I'm serving down there. And, and, and we begin to serve God with orthodoxy doctrinal orthodoxy. We serve Christ, but we become degenerated into a mechanical. We just go through it. You know, sometimes people come up to me and, and I'm, I'll be talking with them and they talk about the joy of the Lord. And I want to tell them, please notify your face that you have joy. Because nothing about your actions, the way you're talking or the way you look, has anything to do with joy. You see, we get discouraged and we forget a very simple passage. Jesus told his disciples, don't, don't get upset, don't get downcast, and don't give up. Why? He said, I have overcome the world. And if Christ has overcome the world and Christ is living in us, then we have the will, we have the ability, and we should have that, 
that oomph within us that we will not let this world override us. And yet every day when we, we become disappointed, when we become depressed, it's nothing more than the love of God we had has either become mechanical or it's slipping and it's cold. When we walk in the love of God, there is a bounce to our step. Not that we're going through all kinds of troubles. Not that the things that we're walking through hurt us. That has nothing to do with it. It's that Christ overcame and he has said, because he did, we will. And that's a promise of God. So that is the issue. You know, a lot of people uh, think Christians are characterized, and, and it's mentioned, uh, simply by fearing the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, uh, a desire to be like Christ, uh, a desire to, to live holy life and obedience. But again, I remind you, the greatest commandment of which everything hinges on, which is the very foundation of the life that we're gonna live with a husband, with a wife, with children, with a job, with things that go on in this world. The foundation of our life is our love for God. And I, I just admit to you, sometimes when that wanes within me, I get just a deep down hatred for myself. How in the world can I be so stupid as to forget how God loves me and how much I love him. You know, I said one time, I read a survey, and it said that men don't like church because of all this talking about love. I think it's the biggest bunch of garbage I've ever read. I've read a lot of garbage. Listen, I don't know of anyone who does not want to be loved. And all of the things that go to it, it bolsters the love of God that y'all show here every Tuesday, every time people walk through these doors, these are the things that witness there's a difference out there where people will devour you and a difference in here where people will encourage you. Christian is known by his love. I found this passage in the book of Hosea. If you've not read Hosea, very interesting story, you ought to go read it. But I, Hosea in chapter 14, verse 9, said these words, who is wise? He's asking a question. He answers it. Let them, let them realize these things. Then he says, who is discerning? Let them understand, okay? What do they need to understand what, do, what things do they need to realize? Again, Hosea answers it for us. The way of the Lord is right. You know, I, I wrote that on a three by five card and put it on my desk because I want to be reminded the way of the Lord is right. The way of the Lord sometimes is hard. The way of the Lord sometimes is convicting. The way of the Lord sometimes will confuse you, but the way of the Lord is right, period, 
And when that becomes the mindset that we have, you're going to find a lot of issues in your life simply disappear. Second thing, the righteous, those who are right with God, walk in the ways of the Lord. That's our pathway. We walk in his way. We don't walk in our way or our interpretation. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them. Flip side, the rebellious stumble in them. The rebellious stumble. So here's the issue tonight or tomorrow, whatever time it is. Are you walking like the ways of the Lord are right? Do you argue? Do you have your own interpretation? Thinking that things would be better in your life if you made some adjustments? Now, the ways of the Lord are from creation. Think about that. God didn't develop them over a time. It's who he has always been, and it's the way his ways always have been. So how do you get close? You repent, first and foremost. There's always repentance when we sin. There's always repentance when the Spirit of God shows us things in our life that are not right. We repent. And then simply go back and do and be who we are, were at first. You see, there was joy. There was excitement. I don't think any person felt like that anything was impossible with them because they had Jesus. Don't let that relationship go old. Don't let it go cold with your friends, your family, your spouse. Keep it burning. Keep it alive by loving God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your being. And then love each other because we're all made in the image of God. We all are struggling and we all need each other. And sometimes that love is the one thing that will keep people on the path. Father, your ways are right. We thank you for those ways. And we repent, Lord, that there are times that we don't follow those ways. We repent, Lord, that sometimes we become mechanical. We go through the motions. But Lord, we pray today that you would draw us back to you. And if there's anyone here or listening that does not have that relationship with Jesus Christ, I pray today, today would be that day that they come into this fresh, loving relationship. Let this be a day before Valentine's Day of renewing, refreshing, and repenting and going back to God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.